morning, church. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks to all those who are still joining us online. So thankful for this thing they call live stream and technology. And we've got people that are joining us, not just from Belton Temple area. We've got people joining us from um, other states as well. So thank you for joining us. There is no shortage of input on how to do church, for lack of a better way to say it. Tons and tons of articles on how to do church, blog after blog after blog on how to have a successful ministry, seminars on how to have a thriving ministry, and all those are good, and all those are beneficial. But here's the key, if we want to have a successful ministry, if we want to have a successful church, all we need to do is turn to the Word of God. He tells us how to do church. Because in the Word of God, we find everything we need on how to do church. We're in a study of First and Second Thessalonians. We're preparing for the second coming. Paul established the church in Thessalonica. He spent about three weeks there, three different Sabbaths. He reasoned in the synagogue. Here's what we read in Acts 17. They, Paul, they came to Thessalonica where there was Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he preached three weeks, long enough to establish a church, long enough to establish some converts, but his stay in Thessalonica was short-lived. It was short-lived because there was opposition. Why was there opposition? Because there was a contingency of Jews. There was a contingency of religious people who didn't want Gentiles becoming Christians. And they opposed Paul, and they opposed his preaching. The Jews were jealous, and they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob. They started a riot in the city. Not what I would call a good reception for a gospel meeting or a revival. As a result, Paul and Silas were sent away. They were sent away at night. They were sent away to another town. So Paul's stay in Thessalonica was cut short. He would have liked to have stayed longer. He would have liked to have stayed longer than three weeks to nurture some young Christians and to nurture this church. And this is how he describes it in 1 Thessalonians. He said, We were torn away from you for a short time. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan stopped us. We were torn away. We were taken away. We were physically separated. Now, let me throw a little Greek at you. You'll see this. The word for torn away here is aporphanizomai. They were orphaned. Paul said, we were torn away as a father is torn away from children. We left you as orphans. We wanted to stay. We wanted to come back. He says, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you again and again. And so he wants them to know, listen, we we, we know we were torn away. We know we were pulled away. We know we left you as orphans. And he really wanted to come come back and see them. But he knew the same Jews who ran him out of town were wanting to run them out of town. So he says in chapter 2, For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So Paul was afraid that his three weeks, his short-lived stay there, 
was in vain. He was afraid that his three weeks was not effective. And he was concerned with the fact that they might think, since he hadn't come back, that he didn't care about them, that he forgot about them, that he was just another charlatan preacher. So here in 1 Thessalonians 2, here's what we're going to find. We're going to find Paul defending his ministry, and in doing so, he tells us and teaches us how to do church, what a successful ministry looks like. Now remember, we've been saying in this letter, in 1 Thessalonians, he ends every chapter talking about the second coming. Every chapter he talks about the return of Christ. So last week we talked about how should we live since Jesus is coming back. This week, I'm going to say it this way, how should we do church since Jesus is coming back? And here's how he begins chapter 2. He says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. I know we were only there three weeks. It was not a failure. He begins reminding them of the facts. He wants them to know why he had to leave and what was going on. In fact, he uses the word, you know, six times in chapters 2 and um, into chapter 3. He says, you know our visit to you was not a failure. You know how we previously suffered. You know we never used flattery. You know how we dealt with you like a father. You know and you knew we were going to be persecuted. And you know because we kept telling you. Paul wanted them to know, listen, I may have only been there three weeks, but it was a successful three weeks. And so he's going to illustrate what a successful ministry looks like. Number one, ministry that is successful will receive criticism. Now, I don't want, you to, I don't want to suggest that ministry is unsuccessful if there is no criticism. But more times than not, if you're doing something that's good and something that's right, you will be criticized. If you're in charge of a ministry, you'll be criticized. If you're trying to lead a church, you'll be criticized. If you're trying to lead any people in any organization, you are always a candidate for criticism. Look what he says. Before we came to Thessalonica, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. What happened in Philippi? Well, he was thrown in prison. He was put into stocks, and they beat him senseless. Why? Because he preached Jesus, and they didn't like it. He continues. He said, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Remember, ministry that is successful will receive criticism. What's the strong opposition? Well, the opposition didn't want him preaching Jesus. The opposition didn't want him preaching to the Gentiles. The opposition didn't want him establishing a church in Thessalonica. The opposition was constantly critical of Paul. There's never a shortage of criticism. And the criticism almost always comes from inside the organization. Almost always comes from inside a church. No one outside these walls has ever called me to complain. Criticism always comes from inside. There's no shortage of church people devoted to criticism. So let me say this. If you're involved in church work, if you're involved in ministry, remember this. They criticize the prophets. They criticize Jesus. They criticize Paul. They criticize me. They criticize the elders. And they will criticize you. Because people love to criticize. 
They were criticizing Paul and saying things about Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who in the first century traveled about 6,000 miles. Missionary journey after missionary. He penned half of the New Testament and he received criticism. They were telling the Thessalonians things about Paul. Maybe things like, well, you know he has a police record in Philippi. You know he's on the run from the, from, on the, run from the law. You know he's thrown in jail in the last town he visited. People will fuss and criticize anyone and anything. They did it then. They do it today. Religious people. Church people. Number two, ministry that is successful does not please everyone. Kind of related to the first one, but let me go on. Let me say it another way. You can't make everyone happy. Not in a school setting, not in Rotary Club, not in Lions Club, not in a civic organization, not in athletics, and not in church. You can't make everyone happy. Ministry that is successful does not please everyone. I'm sure some of the songs we sang today, you didn't like. I'm sure some of the ministry we do, you don't like. I'm sure some of the ways we spend money, you don't like. But listen, even though nobody's doing anything sinful, people are always going to fuss about how you do church. If you don't do it their way, then they think it's wrong and they're going to let you know. So here's the deal. If you try to please everyone, you'll please no one. And if you try to please everyone, you're going to be miserable because you can't please everyone. Look what he says. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please you. We're not trying to please men. We're trying to please God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up. We were not, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. He says you can't please everyone. And Paul says, we weren't trying to please you. We weren't trying to flatter you. We weren't putting any masks on. We weren't trying to impress you. Because you can't make everyone happy. You can't please everyone. And Paul says, we weren't even trying. When he was preaching in Thessalonica, he wasn't trying to please men. As he would write in Ephesians, we need to find out what pleases the Lord. And that's what Paul was trying to do. When we established a church, we weren't trying to please men. When we were preaching in a synagogue, we weren't trying to please men. So here's what Paul's saying. While we wait for the return of Jesus, and we need to keep doing ministry. Here's how I said it in chapter 1. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Your endurance inspired by hope. A purpose of ministry is not to please men. Our purpose is to please God. Maybe you heard the story about the father and the son and the mule walking down the road. They came into a village and the people said, You're so foolish. You should be riding on the mule instead of walking in this hot sun. So they started riding on the mule. And they came to another village and the people said, You're insensitive. Two big old guys riding on a mule like that. So the father got off and the boy stayed on and they came to the next village and the people said, What a terrible son riding that mule making your father walk. So the son got off and the dad got awed. They came to the next village and people said, What a cruel man you are making your son walk. They came to the next village and the two of them were carrying the mule. <laughs> if that's how you try to do ministry, you can't please everyone. Ministry's not the place for an applause meter. 
You don't test the legitimacy of a ministry by the applause of people. So Paul says, here's the true test of ministry. Are you trying to please God? Should be. Are you trying to please men? There are folks in ministry, folks in churches, with the attitude, it's all about me. They want to be praised. They want to be recognized. They want to be, um, get the notification. Paul says, not me. Wasn't trying to impress. Wasn't trying to flatter. We didn't put on any masks. We weren't even trying to please you. Number three, ministry is successful when it nourishes and it nurtures. So he uses two metaphors. Notice the first one. When we came to you, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. So there's your first metaphor. We came to you like a mother. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you'd become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. So no, notice the terminology he uses. We loved you. We were delighted to share with you. You became dear to us, and we work night and day. That's what ministry looks like. A second metaphor. He says, you're witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. So the first one's a mother. Second one's a father. Notice the words he uses. We were encouraging. We were comforting. We were urging you to live lives worthy of calling, worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. So while we wait for the return of Jesus, ministry ought to be about people. And ministry about people looks like this. You love them. You share your life with them. You hold them dear to you. You work with them day and night. You encourage them. You comfort them. You urge them to live lives worthy of God because ministry is about people. Number four, ministry is successful when it focuses on the second coming of Jesus. Again, he ends every chapter in 1 Thessalonians talking about the second coming. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Every single chapter, he talks about the second coming of Jesus. And as Christians, we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming again, and we need to be prepared for that. We should be excited about that. We should look forward to that. And everything we do in church, and everything we do in ministry, everything we do ought to be reminding us that Jesus is coming again. Most of the stuff that people fuss about in church has nothing to do with the second coming, and in light of the second coming, it really doesn't mean much. And check this out. Paul says, you want to know what brings me joy? Isn't it you? You're the ones that bring me joy. He said, it brings me joy when I think about seeing you in heaven. It brings me joy when I think about seeing our friends who've been faithful in heaven. It brings me joy when I think about seeing our family who've been faithful. Isn't that what ministry is all about? Ministry is about people. People need the Lord. And we need to encourage one another because Jesus is coming back. We're not supposed to use this verse to beat people up to be here. We're supposed to use this verse to encourage people. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And we need to encourage one another. All those people we encounter, all those people we teach, all those people that we do ministry for, the distinguishing mark of the church, the distinguishing mark of any ministry is the emphasis we place on preparing people for the return of Christ because people need the Lord.